you've been worshiping with us in the last few weeks, you know that we've been doing a sermon series called Rocky, focusing on the Apostle Peter. If you have not been here, maybe this is your first week here, uh, well, let me say welcome, and that your timing is perfect because we're starting a new sermon series called the Confirmation for Adults today. Does anybody recognize this? Yeah? <laughs> That's right. This is the 1979 edition of Luther's Small Catechism, right before your very eyes and all its 1970s orange glory. And the threat of having to memorize this little book has been terrorizing middle-aged school children ever since Martin Luther wrote it in 1529. Don't worry, there's not going to be a test today. But our hope is that through this sermon series, we as a community will grow together. We will grow in our roots and our faith will grow deeper as we study God's Word. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the sacraments of Holy, Holy Communion and Baptism, and this week we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. I hope we can see them in a new light and learn to see, God's, see them as God's vision for, for God's people. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we come to you today in remembrance of your Sabbath, and we pray that we might keep it holy. We are here today because we love and respect you, and so that we not, do not neglect your word or the preaching of it, but so that, you would regard, so that we would regard your word as holy and gladly hear and learn it. Amen. When God speaks, things happen. One of the great truths of Scripture and the foundations of our story as the people of God is that when God speaks, things happen. Think of Genesis 1. In the beginning, when there was nothing, when the earth was formless and void, it was the voice of God. It was God speaking that brought the universe into being. The Gospel of John starts in the same place. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Of course, John is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. When God speaks, God is telling us about Jesus Christ. Every word on the tongue of God is Jesus. The Ten Commandments are absolutely unique in the history of humanity because God speaks directly to the people. At no other point does God address the people directly. God always sends prophets to speak on his behalf, but here at Sinai, God is present among the people in his glory. And the people are utterly transfixed. They are gripped with fear and they clamor to get away and they say, Moses, hey Moses, we have an idea. Why don't you go talk to God and we'll stand way back here. Deuteronomy tells this story. Read with me. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. At the mountain of the Lord, God spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. The Lord God made our with us at Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. The Lord spoke, and the people cowered in fear. I don't know about you, but I can't blame them. Read the middle of Exodus 20, verse 5. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents on the children. The entire family is affected. 
even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Doesn't that just hit you like a ton of bricks? How can this be? This is an example of how difficult Scripture is sometimes. If we really read it and pay attention to what the Bible says, this is deeply challenging. And to be, to be totally honest about it, it's offensive. The Ten Commandments invite us to ask what hearing the word of the law does to us. When you hear, you must not, what is your gut reaction? Raise your hand if you grew up with the King James Version or another version that uses the Old English that says, thou shalt not. <laughs> How does that make you feel? How does hearing the, phrase, hearing the phrase, thou shalt not, rest with you? If you're, if you're like me, you don't like it one bit. You shalt not, or you'd better not. This is a phrase that rubs us the wrong way every single time, isn't it? What about just plain no? Do you like to hear the word no? <laughs> we can't help it. There's something deep inside of us, inside each of us that hears the words, thou shalt not. And even before we're told what we must not do, the impulse response goes something like, well, now you've given me a reason to do it. What age does that start? About two? Yeah. <laughs> As we hear the words of the commandments, it brings something out in us. It has a way of bringing to the surface things that we'd rather hide. It lures our feelings that, that we sometimes would rather just ignore. Unexpectedly, this is one of the purposes of the commandments. This is one reason why God gives the commandments. When God speaks, things happen. Proverbs 6.23 tells us the law is a light. By saying to us, you shall not, God reminds us of all the ways we've fallen short. You shall not is a spotlight on our failures. You shall not is like a bird dog that flushes out everything that I'm ashamed of. Let's read what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right by God by doing what is right in the law. The law simply shows us how simple we are. Is that a surprise to anyone? The law simply shows us how sinful we are. This is completely different than the way we usually think about the Ten Commandments. Isn't it? We usually think about the Ten Commandments as a list of rules we need to follow. And if you do these things and do a pretty good job of it, God is happy and you get to go to heaven. <laughs> I didn't read the one about not falling asleep in church. <laughs> one recent poll found that 83% of Christians believe that if you're a good person, you get to go to heaven. It was, it was set, I want to set the record straight today. This is not biblical. Here again what Paul tells us. No one can ever be made right by doing what is in the law. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Let me tell you the story of one young man. He's in his 20s, so he has youth on his side. He's good looking. And on top of it all, he's rich. He has everything going for him. As long as he lives, he will be financially secure. Now with people like Paris Hilton running around, being young and rich can give you a bad name. But this young rich man doesn't fit any of the stereotypes. He takes his religion very seriously. He's devout. He's a model of morality. And he gives generously to charities. He's a pillar in his community. 
But even with all that going for him, he feels he is missing what is most important. He has a deep longing that won't go away. Nothing, that, nothing not his riches, not his youth, not even his, not even his religion or his generosity can satisfy him. And nothing, and none of these things can he find something that will fill the emptiness he feels inside. And one day he hears Jesus speak. And Jesus speaks about having life. And not only that, having abundant life. He speaks about heavenly riches. Not even rust or moth can destroy these. Jesus is offering a peace that passes all understanding. And the rich young man's soul salivates. It's like the spiritual version of looking in the front window of your favorite restaurant. And right in front of you, just on the other side of the glass, the waiter puts your absolute favorite meal in front of someone else. You can see the steam gently wafting off of food. As the door opens and customers come in and out of the restaurant, the smells from the kitchen overwhelm you. But you're outside. You're on the wrong side of that pane of glass. And now the customer at the table is starting to stare at you and looking at you like you're a total creeper. And he's thinking, who is this person that's staring at my food? And the waiter's looking at you thinking, now I have to clean that person's drool and fingerprints off the window. (laughs) This is exactly how the rich young man felt. He finally saw everything that he longed for, but he did not know how to get it. He was on the wrong side of the glass. He runs up to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to get this abundant life, this everlasting life that you're talking about? But he's asking the wrong question. He asks, What must I do? You see, he's asking a law question when he's seeking a gospel answer. God is not interested in what you are doing, but who you are becoming. Let me say that again. God is not interested in what you are doing, but who you are becoming. God is not counting your deeds. God is not impressed by your good works. God loves you for who you are, and even and especially when your back is broken by the law. The young man knows how far the law gets you. He says to Jesus, I have followed all the commandments. I have loved my neighbor as myself ever since I was a little boy. He says, I have done every last thing the law requires of me. And the Bible tells us that Jesus looked at him with sincere love in his eyes. If you want to earn your way, if you want to get to heaven through the law, there's always one more thing. The law always demands one more thing, and after that one thing, it demands one more thing. The law always demands what you're unwilling to give. The law demanded from this rich man his riches. The law asked this man to give his financial security, and he was unable to do it. And he went away sad. He was asking a law question and looking for a gospel answer. Where the law brings guilt, the gospel brings peace. Where the law demands, the gospel gives freely. There is no good thing that you can do to satisfy the law, but there's no bad thing that you can do to nullify the promise of what the gospel gives you. Because Christ died for you, every good thing that God has is offered to you, and he has taken all your sins. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, But the sins of all have fallen on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died for you, you are beloved. You are saved. You are holy. And there is nothing in this world 
or in the next that can separate you from the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. If, if your life is consumed by guilt, I want you to hear me very clearly. The gospel is not about guilt, but frees you from your guilt. Let the word of God set you free. When God speaks, things happen. So where does this leave the Ten Commandments? If we are free from the guilt of the law, what good do the Ten Commandments do us? God commands us to love. Jesus commands us to love. Jesus tells us that everything in the law, all the law, all the law demands and all the prophets demand, hang on two commandments. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. How do you command love? Is love something that can be forced or coerced? Can you love even though you don't feel loved? Even though you don't feel like loving someone else? I think that the love Jesus is talking about transcends our feelings. We are being called to love people with our behavior, to have a character that embodies love that is so much deeper than our, than our feelings, our wants, or our whims. There is so much more and to love than this. It's, it's so much more reliable. In reality, the commandment Jesus is giving is not a command at all. But Jesus is giving us God's vision for our future. He's describing God's dreams, the, the, the dream of God's heart. He's telling us what God wants for us. The, the first three commandments teach us how to love God, and the last seven teach us how to love our neighbor. He's describing the Ten Commandments. The greatest commandment is that Jesus gives us is the what, what God asks of us. And the Ten Commandments are the how, how we are to fulfill the greatest commandment. As Christians, we see the Ten Commandments through the lens of life, death, and, G- and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But because our, sin has taken, because our sin has been taken by the blood of Jesus Christ, because we are no longer under the condemnation of the law, we no longer hear the words of the Ten Commandments as the list of rules that we must follow, or else, but we hear the Ten Commandments as, as a description of God's dream for our, hope, for our lives. This is not a list of things God is going to do to condemn us, if we don't do them. This is a list of God's hopes for our future. Now hear the words, you shall not, in a totally different way. You shall is descriptive. It tells us what will happen. Remember, when God speaks, things happen. Because we are in Christ, see that behind each no of the Ten Commandments, there is a much bigger yes. God says, you shall not have no other gods before me. And we as Christians hear the yes God gives in the promise of the gospel. Yes, given to every person who puts his faith in Jesus Christ. God says, you shall not kill. And we hear the words, yes. God gives us yes, saying, you shall be your brother or your sister's keeper. And they will be your keeper. God says, you shall not covet. And we hear yes. We hear God in the promise, providing everything that we need. The Ten Commandments are no longer a list of rules for you, but an articulation and description of the promise God has made to you of this abundant life, this everlasting life. It does not start when you die, but it starts the very moment you hear the words of the gospel. It started the very moment you were baptized. It starts the moment you hear the words and believe them. This is my body and blood given and shed for you. When God speaks, things happen. When God says, I am a jealous God and the whole family is affected by your sin, Hear the words of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. Why must children bear the sins of their parents? This is one of the hardest questions we'll ever have to ask. But none of us can ever begin to doubt that it is true as we reflect on the world in which we live. Child abuse and neglect. Kids that are homeless and starving. This truth goes beyond the relationship between children and parents. Our sin is always... Our sin always scars the people that we love most, the people closest to us, much more deeper than it does ourselves. Children just happen to be the most vulnerable. God has put before us life and prosperity, but also death and adversity. God's dream and deepest desire and hope for us is that we would choose life. Five years ago today, a man named Charles Roberts chose death. He walked into an Amish schoolhouse with a gun He killed five young girls and wounded five more before he shot himself. The fact that children bear the sin of adults has never been so apparent. But even in the midst of that agonizing tragedy, the witness of Christians living the greatest commandment shone brighter than the mind could even imagine. That same day, just hours after the shooting, the Amish community extended forgiveness to the shooter's family. One Amish man held the shooter's father in his arms for hours as he sobbed. About 30 people from their community attended his funeral, and the shooter's widow was invited to the funeral of one of the victims. They even started a charitable fund for the shooter's family. If the Ten Commandments are about loving God and loving your neighbor, I can't think of a better way to talk about it than to point to these people. These people chose life. Five years ago today... The children bore the weight of one man's sin, but the transformational power of the cross of Christ overcame it. Everywhere evil is at work in the world, God is also at work. Choose life today. Choose the abundant life that God has set before you. Hear the words of Christ. This is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. When God speaks, things happen. Let the word, let the word of the gospel wash over you. Let it change your life. God speaks and things happen. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. To put it in hope language, Jesus' is life. The rest is just details. Take heart. Be comforted. And know that Christ goes with you as you go out into the world to love God and love your neighbor. Jesus describes you as the good tree that bears good fruit. Because you are a good tree... Bearing good fruit is the most natural thing that you can do. Your abundant life is not about straining or guilting yourself into doing something you don't want to do. Let the words of the gospel change the way you hear the Ten Commandments. They are not a to-do list for holiness, but a description of God's dream for your life, your abundant life, your eternal life, and that life starts now. Amen.